Jeff described the season as mean-spirited and marred with hostility and ugliness and called Brian, Clay, Helen, and Jan the least likable final four ever. He said, we love conflict on Survivor, but conflict that's fun to watch, not conflict that is uncomfortable to watch. Wow. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Escape from Reality, where us gal pals sit and talk about reality competition TV shows. We are in the middle of Survivor. Not in the middle. We're at the first five seasons, guys. I don't know why I said the middle. It's fine. We're going to make a dent in this at some point or another. Oh, but this one, guys, let me say, season five, it feels like we hit a wall. And we got to get over this hump because Thailand was, it was Thailand. And that's how we're going to just describe it. We're going to get into, was there any moments that saved this season at all? Or will it always be the season that had this giant cloud of terribleness surrounding it? That we're going to get into in a second. But before we dive on in, I'm here as always joined with my favorite Survivor Queens, starting off with the beautiful, the luscious, the lovely Miss Stacey. Thanks. What an introduction. Thanks. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to be honest, guys. We are not hyped about filming this episode, so I am hyping us up right now. Aggie! Hi, what's up, baby? Um, I think, yeah, we'll get into it, but I love this energy. I love what you're feeding me. Let's keep it going. You know what? I may have had two Red Bulls, but we're going to do it. I didn't, but I could have. Anna! What up, fam? I also have a cloud of terribleness around me, just like season five. And that cloud of terribleness is called COVID-19 slash clinical depression, if you're me. It's anyway. called 2020. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm Nick. Therapist and, and Stacy wants to help both of you right now. Oh, <laughs> like please, bit. sir. Please. please sir. I want some therapy. <laughs> please. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Everyone should have a therapist in 2020. That's my opinion. Okay, move on. There <laughs> she is. And with the idea of therapy, let's dive into Thailand because if there is one collective cast that needs therapy, <laughs> It's the Thailand cast, and y'all <laughs> laughing, but you know it's true. To give you some context about this season, we are in Thailand. I don't know the context I can give y'all. They lose a boat at some point. They are divided up by the first schoolyard pick. We have this idea of the older generation and the younger generation. Who comes out on top? Who fights? Is the older generation automatically weaker because they are older? We're going to dive into all of that. But before we do, let's go around and just give our quick thoughts um, on this season as a whole. Aggie, do you want to kick it off for us? Sure. Um, I think as Nick alluded, as we were getting ready and thinking about what we wanted to talk about, I think a lot of us were kind of like, I don't remember much, much of this season because literally as I was watching, I was like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate what he just said. A lot of my notes as I look through, it's like, Brian, no, you can't say that, but he did. Or like, mm, Ted, you can't do that, but he did. And like, instead of editing it to make them seem like bad choices, they're edited as if the person on the receiving end of those choices is the problem, which I find with a 2020 lens is very frustrating to watch. It doesn't age well, I think, and that's why season five is so hard to talk about, is not because there's not glimmers of Survivor in there that you can't appreciate. There are some interesting aspects in this game. Brian could easily be described as one of the best in terms of social game and getting where he wants to go. Maybe strong arming it a bit, but he, he gets what he wants and he creates the situation he wants so he can win. Like he does what he's supposed to do, but it just, it really doesn't age well. Oh um, it's just, it's problematic. And so those things make it very hard to watch and kind of difficult to talk about. But I'm excited to get into it with you, biddies. Yes. Stacy. what about you? Um, I agree with pretty much everything Aggie said. I think, yeah, the, the, the situation with Gandia, that just like put a cloud over it, speaking of dark clouds. So there were a few players that I liked in this season that I'm like 
would enjoy seeing again. But overall, it just, it wasn't that exciting to me. And then Anna, finish it off for us. Yeah, I think Aggie hit the nail right on the head in like pinpointing the phrase that's been circling in my mind of that it just doesn't age well. And I would be curious, I, I think I watched it when it premiered, but I was like, what, probably nine, so it don't really matter. No, not even. I would have been like six. <laughs> anyway. Very young. She's not good at math. That's not why we're here. <laughs> um, but I would be curious to like, to know if, if you were someone watching this, you know, back in 2004 or five, whatever it was, how you would receive it. Because so much of it is just a weird cloud of uncomfiness that you get from watching it in 2020 and knowing how, you know, problematic a lot of the stuff that's said and shown and the way it's edited comes across. And I do think that it's a season that has a lot of little sort of nuggets of really great Survivor aspects and things that like are new to the season that we haven't seen on Survivor yet that we're going to come to know as like really integral parts of the show. But all of the things that seem really problematic, not seem, that are problematic and that make it more difficult to watch, like it it, it sort of deters you from going back and examining the bits of it that are good. I feel like it overshadows it overshadows it and then it suffers from um like tonal dissonance where you're like i know there's some really great moments in here but when you watch them alongside of the really not so great moments it just feels like you're watching a show that's completely disconnected which again it was a product of the times but you can't help but look at it under a 2020 lens and point out all the issues which is what we're going to do. <laughs> That's what we're here for. It's very much, there is like this dark cloud that is overshadowing this entire season. And with that, let's dive right on in. So like we brought up, the way that the tribes were split up, this was the first time that we had a schoolyard pick. And what made it very interesting was that the two oldest castaways picked the two tribes. For the first tribe, we had Sukjai, who was picked by Jake, and that tribe had Penny, Ken, Aaron, Shean, Rob, Stephanie, and Jed. And then you had the other tribe, Chuigong, who was picked by Jan, and that had Brian, Clay, Helen, Ted, and Gandia, Tanya, and John. And I think it was really interesting because both of these players you can see it had like a different strategy or a different way of picking the tribes that they did. Jan was very much about like, who do I like? Who is go- am I going to get along with? Who is going to work well together? Who's going to be a good cohesive tribe? Jake, on the other hand, was like, who's strong and young and who is going to win challenges for me? Who is going to get me through this game? right away like you see two different strategies being played maybe the only strategy jan ever does in this game be is like picking those people um and you just see that divide and you automatically see the tribes split up younger more fit more strong players versus the older generation of players we bring up this idea all the time so like aggie do you like have any feelings about this generational split well, spoiler alert for those of you who don't watch, who haven't seen future seasons, there is a season where they divide them Gen X versus Millennials. So it's not something that's going away, but I think it's really interesting, one, that we start with these, the oldest people in the game or the people who pick the tribes. I think it has to do, if I remember correctly, it has to do with Thai culture and how Thai culture is very reverent of the elders in their communities and in their like villages and just in Thai culture, it's like you always revere your elders. You always are like turning to them for wisdom. So they start that way. And to me, it was just such a stark contrast, right? That Jake is like, I want the strong people. And Jan wants what seems kind of like the misfit crew. But Jan also, the funny thing about this is the cutaways, right? So Jan talks about her strategy and she's like, I just, you know, I, I, there were some of them that were intimidating and it's like girlfriend it's a game what the fuck are you here for and then jake's like i picked the strong ones and then immediately upon realizing how shitty they are he's like i picked the wrong team like he immediately he's like like two days in he's like god they're all awful like (laughs) he's just like i hate them all like they're all terrible people and so it's just like this weird sort of dichotomy that jan in her attempt to find like the least threatening people she ends up with some of the worst people. And then Jake 
ends up with these like strong, brash men who say awful things, but you kind of like, they get eliminated quickly because they're not actually that good at like winning challenges. So you have to deal with Jan's shitty longer, but like Jake's shitty is just like obvious and like up in your face the whole time. So it's just a, it's a really, it's just a crew I don't really want to hang out with again. And from what we even saw, it seemed like the Jake, Jake's tribe was going to be the tribe to beat. They came out strong the first two episodes. They won both the immunity challenges. They won the reward challenges. They came out strong. And then something happened and they just crumbled. And Jeff even has a quote, Sukjai, you are self-destructing. They were just self-destructing. Stacy, what are your thoughts and why do you think this kind of started to happen with these younger people? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe they got too, like, cocky or too comfortable or they just assumed, it, you know, they didn't really need strategy and they just needed strength. Or maybe, yeah, they weren't, like, communicating as well. I don't know. It was surprising. I, you would think with that many, like, more athletic people, they would have done better. So I'm not... I don't know exactly what happened, but it was definitely different than what we have seen in the past. So. I think it's something you just said, actually. I literally like was getting water and like ran over. I was like, wait, I had an idea. I had an idea. Um, I actually think, Stacey, what you said about them not communicating very well, I think it was like self-destruction because they didn't appreciate each other and like weren't very nice to each other. Um, like Shean is like full on made fun of by Rob for the way she eats chicken. Um, which is so problematic and upsetting. Like the whole time, they're just like not very nice to each other and they start to really grate on each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Anna, what about you? Like, what are your takes on like this young tribe that just like self-destructed at some point? So my take is actually going to pull it back a couple steps to the, the actual, you know, pick them itself. Go off, queen. Because I think it's so wild. And obviously like we're so used to this, um, concept in Survivor as we, you know, get into the later seasons. And it, we have to remember that this is the first time we've seen it. And I know it's only season five, but if you think about it, it's like a, this has never happened before on a show like Survivor, where so much of the season is dependent on the breakdown of the tribes and the people that you put together, unless you're going to do some kind of swap or until you get to emerge. Like, so much of what happens in the season is going to be good or bad based on the people that you put together so for the producers to relinquish that control to the players not really know how it's going to turn out is so wild to me and I'm impressed that it kind of worked out in the way that it did for the first go around because in the later seasons we see like when these pickums happen there's some kind of parameter like you must choose a person you know of the opposite sex or someone from the opposite color that they pulled or whatever have you there's some kind of parameter that puts more control in the hands of the producers in terms of like what the tribe makeup is going to be but we don't have that here (laughs) all we have is like just choose and as you said like jake kind of has more of a physical strategy in his pick whereas jan's like this person seems nice (laughs) so like it's it's kind of wild that the composition of the tribes ended up being as you know, dynamic as they did, which I think is a product of just good casting all around. But I do think it's worth noting, like, this is a pretty wild concept for a show like Survivor for them to be like, no, you decide how you're going to be put together and we'll just film it. It's a lot of control to give two old people. Right. And, but I think it's interesting. That's not really what you were talking about before. No, I love it. And it does bring up that idea. I do think it is really cool And this isn't the last time we see a schoolyard pick. And I think it's cool because instead of having your fate decided for you, it's kind of like you're deciding your own fate. So like based off these first impressions, decide your home for the next 39 days or like however many days before the merge or whatever. And that's like this interesting concept. I do want to get back to this idea though, that like the young and old Because, spoiler, like, the young tribe, who we all assumed would do so good, again, like I said, like, they kind of fall and falter and, like, break apart. And I think that shook a lot of people to their core the first time they watched this season. Even, like, in season four, when, like, the final two were very, were, like, not considered strong players physically. And we're seeing this time and time again, where you would see, like, the masculine jock guy who is young and fit 
comes in and you're like, oh, he is going to be the strongest survivor. He is going to win. But it just doesn't happen. It's just something isn't there. Being strong, young, and fit does not mean you're going to be good at survivor. Aggie, do you have any thoughts on that? I think a really good example of that is Rob Z. Like he was really strong and he, it almost like worked against him. Actually, I think, I think of the attack zone challenge, which if you've seen season five, which I hope you have as you're listening to this, the attack zone challenge is almost um, infamous because Rob like thinks it's like the only part of the challenge is the attack zone. And it's like, bro, you're trying to collect flags, like pay attention. The big goal is not choke clay off the thing. The goal is collect the things. Like the goal is not the attack zone. Like that's not what it's about. But he just like can't get over the attack zone and loses so many points for Sukjai because it's like he's like unaware of the like impact of that. It's like, yo, you could have we could have run this whole challenge without ever being in the attack zone. But like every time he's up, he's like, the attack zone. And it's like, that's not the point, bro. Like you're trying to capture things. I just the like absolute idiocy of that, I think really encapsulates sort of what happens to those young guys is like, they like kind of lose focus. It's like, you want immunity, not to be the strongest man in the challenge. Like that's not necessarily the point, right? The point is to win immunity for your team. And you can't do that because you're so focused on being the strongest man. Literally Jeff has to yell at you and then take the point away. Like, you can't have the point. I'm giving it to that guy because you just choked him. Like, it's just think, ridiculous. I think, too, like, I think the younger generation forgets Survivor isn't all about winning challenges. There is the outwit part of the game, not just outplay. You are trying to outwit people. You need to do something with that. And I know you were trying to jump in. So, like, what's your take on this? Kind of what you just said and just that, like, I think with the younger people, in a lot of cases, you see, <laughs> they're not mature enough to understand that Survivor is not just a contest. It's a game. And it's that, like, gameplay part of it that they either can't quite connect or they're not, you know, developed in their brains enough to take seriously. And so I think a lot of times we see people who come in and they think, oh, I can just dominate physically. And that either gets them knocked out right away for being too strong and too much of a threat or they lose focus and they lose sight of, like, having to play the social game. And I think a lot of the older contestants, when they're not able to be as physically dominant, based on their sheer, you know, physical bodies, they're kind of forced to focus more on the social aspect of the game to get farther. And I think it's also, it's like the young people are like, well, why would I vote somebody out that I can beat in challenges when you can, like, get rid of the strong people and, like, continue to win more and more and more? And that's the idea and the concept that we see. Before we move on to another aspect of this game, and we are going to get to the big cloudy moment that we keep on touching on, but I do want to cover our other bases before because there are things in this season that are worth talking about before. But we did have a couple of different twists besides the schoolyard pick. Um, And something that came up right away was the schoolyard picked two people, Jan and Jake, then had to decide which camp they would want. So would they want a camp that had a really, really strong shelter, a big cave that is where they could live under, they wouldn't have to build a shelter, it would be there for them, but their water source would be really far away. Or you had to take a boat. And then there is the other other camp that was, you have a really, really poor area for shelter you're exposed you're right on the beach but your water is close so we're going to get into this question at rapid fire so i don't want to know what you would pick but just like an idea like how do you think this would affect people's decisions or just like affect people's way of life so don't go into which one would you choose just yet but which one do you think would affect your way of life more stacy It seems like the seasons we've seen so far, like if you don't have water or if it's like hard to get water, that is a huge issue. So I feel like that is something they probably really had. Well, I know only two of them got to make the decision, but they really had to like factor that in because I mean, not having easy access to water, that's going to affect a lot of things. So I feel like that probably had a big impact. 
I feel like if you're dehydrated, you just can't do anything else. Yeah. Like Anna, do you have any other feels? So I feel like not having water is definitely worse, but we've also seen, I think, if you don't have like quick resolution for a shelter and like if you don't make your shelter within the first couple of days, you're not doing it and you're sleeping on the ground. And like, it's not as bad as not having water, but it's pretty detrimental in itself. I think if you think about it, not having water is detrimental to you physically and not having shelter is detrimental to you mentally. So they're definitely like both problematic, right? Like, and that's why the producers did this is like, they're not going to give you like, you know, good shelter and like kind of far away water. And this has close water and like kind of an okay shelter. It's like, no, you get one or the other. And they clearly did that on purpose. And I think for me, I think I would want the water closer. So I agree with you guys. Mainly because I watched Chewigon lose their fucking boat and have to swim with their jugs of water for miles. Like Helen was like, it's time to get water. And everyone just like equally groaned inside. And they were like, fuck, we still don't have the boat. Like they put it off as long as possible. And then they would waste all their energy on the actual like trip to get water. And it just, it felt like, it felt like a punishment, like a true punishment to not have water nearby. It's like, what do you value? Do you value like physical comfort or do you value like mental stability? Because I think without shelter, you start to quickly give up. And I Especially think- if it rains. It seems like well, rain with bad shelter is like the worst thing for them next to not having water, I guess. It's really like the water torture they do. Like you're just laying there getting rained on, getting wet losing your damn mind yeah Uh, so along with that twist we also had two other interesting twists to look at here where jeff gave the tribes the option to mutiny or to just leave their original tribe and go to the other tribe now we do see this idea come up again in future seasons spoiler though in thailand nobody chooses to do it now here, like, here's just, like, a thought. Like, would you have done it? Or what is, like, the repercussions of doing a mutiny? What is the issue of doing a mutiny? And I know we've all discussed and have watched the season where this does happen, because, spoiler alert, we film these in different orders sometimes. So we've all seen the season where somebody does mutiny, and we won't get into that here because it does happen future. But just, like, what are the repercussions of doing a mutiny Anna what for you I mean for me and especially in this season in particular when there there is no precedent for it like we've never seen it as an option which means that none of these castaways have ever thought of it as an option so to have it presented there's no way of sort of thinking about what it's meant before and so you don't know you my initial thought would be like oh if I switch tribes I will be the first one voted out of the new tribe because you've never seen it be successful, which is still the case the first time we see someone do it. But I think even more so now when it's never even been a card on the table, you're like, yeah, I probably want to switch tribes, but I'm not, I'm not making that move because I have no evidence to say it's going to work out at all. Shean's the one who actually thinks about mutinying, right? Yeah. And I think without getting into the, when they actually mutiny, the one time it's taken in the future, like just as a slight tiny thing, is like two people do it. But Shean's the only one who really was thinking about mutinying. And it's kind of like the evil you don't know versus the evil you do know. Like you maybe know your place better in the, in the tribe you are like, you hate. You maybe know where you stand better than hoping to jump ship and find a better place over there. Because here's the tea. They don't know what's happening at the other camp. So like, the other camp was also a mess. So Shean probably could have found some people. She probably could have worked with Helen and they maybe would have convinced Jan by the end of the game, like, hi, hi, welcome, you're playing Survivor. Like if Shean had jumped ship, she wouldn't, I don't think she necessarily would have been the first one out because Chewigan was not in a good place regardless. So I think Shean could have maybe made a case for herself had she mutinied, but because she didn't know what was going on at Chewigan. Like she'd only ever seen them at challenges. And we've never seen this twist happen before. So she's like, that's a huge risk. Like, I am literally putting my million dollars on the line in the hopes that this works and it might not. It's a good twist in that way, but it's a high risk twist. Uh-huh. And I think that's why it's 
high risk, potential high reward or like devastating no reward. And so I think for that, it gets a little stressful and I can feel like you want to jump in. But I don't want to jump the gun, but I feel like that in itself is what makes the fake out merge twist so good as a twist is because you have this like option to mutiny. Sheehan wants it, but doesn't take it because of the game. So when you get to this, like, oh, two tribes going back to one camp, Sheehan immediately is like, okay, now I'm ready to make my moves. I didn't jump ship from my tribe. Now we're all together. I can switch up this game the way I want, thinking it's a merge. And that's what makes the fact that it's not yet a merge such a good twist. It was such a good moment, such a good twist. Like Anna said, they were told that you're going to go back and just live on the same camp together. And so they all were like, great, we're merged. And then they get to the immunity challenge and just like, you guys are still one tribe. Did I give you new buffs? Did I say you merged? And they're like, the fuck, Jeff? Bitch, did I stutter? Uh, Stacy, I know like when we were bringing this up, this is like a big thing for you too. You thought this was really interesting. So what just, what did you have to say about this? Yeah, I thought it was cool. I like when, especially in the early seasons, when Jeff and the other producers try to like throw them off their game. Like they think they can predict what's happening and then they're like, no, this can change at any time. Like don't, don't make assumptions. So I thought it was cool. I did, I remember watching and just thinking like, this is kind of weird because he didn't use the word merge and he didn't like, I mean, yeah, he didn't give them buffs. They didn't have a feast. So I remember thinking like, this just feels kind of strange. But poor Cheyenne, her face <laughs> when she realized. Uh, the face crack of a century. <laughs> I think was devastated. Oh, sad. I just love any time the producers, especially like you said, as Stacy in the early seasons, are like, "You thought you knew what was happening." No, like I am still in charge of this game. I created it. It's like Hunger Games when they like introduce new things, and you're like, "My God!" But it's kind of is. It's like you thought you had had a handle. Like we've been doing it so long that you thought we you got it. And I think that's what makes you keep coming back, right? Because like, even in current times, Survivor hasn't changed drastically, but they always do something like just enough where you're like, all right, I'll see it through. Like, it's going to be the same kind of, but like, I'm in, like, let's try it again. Maybe it'll, maybe that twist will add a different aspect to the game because spoiler alert, guys, Survivor goes on for 40 seasons and has people applying for 41, 42, and 43. So world is our oyster like clearly jeff and the producers are doing something right because we keep watching uh and i think it's time though that we talk about something that the producers didn't get quite right and this is the big cloudy moment that we have constantly brought up that just overshadows the rest of this season and before we get into this topic i do just want to put like a couple disclaimers out there like one like a trigger warning for like sexual misconduct just put it out there it it, it is a sensitive topic and we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable with the conversation so please if that is a trigger for you feel free to turn off this episode right now and also like i also want to say like we are not professionals in this we are truly just four friends who i mean stacy might be a little bit might be able because stacy is a therapist like we said But like, we don't want to claim and say that we know best and that we know anything more about this than any other group of friends. It's truly just us watching and enjoying Survivor. And this is a topic that we need to talk about because it was such a big part of this season. So with that said, we're going to get into the inappropriate touching of Gandia by Big Ted. And the exact situation that occurred was Big Ted and Gandia were sleeping together. They are both on the same camp. And Ted rubbed himself up on Gandia. He like wrapped her, started spooning her, was like massaging her. And there is camera footage of it. So like we cannot say that like that didn't happen. Um, But the argument comes up that Gandia initiated it just as much as Ted did. Gandia says that she didn't. Ted says that she does. All the other women, even Helen and Jan are kind of like, it didn't seem like she wanted it, but they don't say anything to defend her they kind of just let gandia take the heat and get all this hate and anger anger towards her and i think that's the issue with how the producers handled what happened here 
Stacy, because you are kind of like a therapist, I don't want to put pressure on you to talk about this, but just what is your take on the situation? Well, I'm not kind of like a therapist. No, I, I didn't mean to say it like that. I just, <laughs> just you, know, you are a therapist. You might be. <laughs> Look, maybe a, where are your papers? Show us your degree. A lot of work to get that master's. Okay. I love you so much. I know. I'm just kidding. But I think this isn't really a joking time, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, I just, ugh, it just made me cringe in so many ways. I mean, it was just very uncomfortable i think what i one part i hated the most maybe was uh ted like gaslighting her afterwards because the next day he's like well no at first he kind of apologizes but then when it becomes like public conversation then he like he's like you're overreacting like i'm not even attracted to you and all this stuff and that was just terrible i mean that's what happens to a lot of people when it comes to the gaslighting so I just was like, I cannot believe this is happening and they're showing it. So I, I thought like they're showing it. So they're probably going to like address it in a helpful way or at least a more like constructive way, but they obviously didn't do that. So I just hated everything about it. I felt very bad for Gandia, but then, and she, I mean, she had also said she has ex like, she's had trauma like that before. So I think it just, it was a lot. And I just think, you know, in the reunion, they didn't handle it well. Which, I don't know, are we going to talk about that, too, right now? I think we could just talk about, like, production in general's handling yeah. the situation. Because okay. they didn't do anything to Ted. They had footage of this incident happening, and yeah. nothing happened to Ted. He got mm -hmm. no repercussions, nothing. And then it cut to the reunion, and Jeff, first time he hosts the reunion, and mm -hmm. this is the reunion he chose, but... I think and it chose him. It chose <laughs> he it. chose it. <laughs> but Jeff goes to Gandia. So what did you tell your husband about this happening? Mm. Pretty much insinuating that it was her fault and that she needed to explain the fact that she was inappropriately touched mm -hmm. to her husband. Yeah. And it's just, it's just messy. It is messy. And production did a piss poor job of handling it. And I think the castaways and other people on the show did an even worse job and but mm -hmm. i'll let um i'll let i'll give you and uh, aggie and anna your spotlight in a sec but i think the one part that really angered me the most was helen being like i am a rape counselor and i deal with women of trauma all the time but this isn't the place for me to deal with that because i don't want to get voted out mm -hmm. and it's just like no like, I get it, you're playing a game, but this is where it goes too far, where you know something bad happens, and you know Ted is in the wrong. You mm -hmm. know that she was sexually harassed terribly and is going through this trauma and is getting blamed for it, but you are just letting it happen because she'll get voted off before you and you'll be safer. Mm -hmm. It's just so messed up. Ugh, I could go on, but I don't want to. Um, Aggie, what about you? Again, like... I think Nick, you did a really nice job of saying like, for the most part, we're not like equipped to be like an end all be all sort of idea or thought on this topic. As someone who just like genuinely is not one to not believe women when they say this, like it's something that is, is just mortifying to me that the initial reaction wasn't like, hey, like how can we sort of help or like how can we just even let you have your reaction to this because it's obviously like tearing you up inside and I think we'll talk about this again a little bit when we get to all stars because Sue has a similar experience or not similar experience in that like she feels sexually assaulted but just like Richard is naked and his penis is on her and that is not okay in a similar way of just like there's unwanted like pressure from someone else because of their body being near you um, and I think for me with Gandia, it was just like not a single person believed her or even just believed that she could have trauma from something. It was just the lack of sort of empathy. It was just horrifying. And then the men were also like, I think it's Clay and Brian or Clay. Brian goes to talk to Ted and he's like, what did anything happen? Not like what happened, but 
did anything happen? And Ted's like, no, man. He's like, I didn't think so. And then him and Clay go and sit in the ocean while Gandhi is literally screaming and like clearly going through some trauma. Clay and Brian sit in the ocean and just say to each other, like, yeah, like, it's cool. It's whatever. Like, we know what happened. Like, it's fine. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? That's not a thing. Like, that's not how this works. And so for me, I think that was just... I think the most gut-wrenching part of it was just to watch them fully like push her feelings and push her experience to the side. Um, Because Nick, I think you said there's video, there's definitely video of them being close. I don't know if there's video from the specific night that like in question, but there's definitely video of them like spooning and like sleeping together regularly. Um, And that is like then used against her as like, well, you kind of ask for it. And it's like, no, no, in no way did anyone ask for anything. Like that was a mutual consent to like sleep next to each other and like provide each other comfort and you crossed a line, but there was no like evidence other than Gandhi's clear trauma. And then the fact that we couldn't believe her in that moment was just like very heart wrenching to watch. I feel like for I've sure. talked a lot. For sure. Maybe um, said nothing, so. Yeah, Anna, what about you? Why don't you round us off on this topic? And then we can kind of- Yeah, and I think I think a good kind of segue from what Aggie was just talking about is looking at what production did and did not show and the way that they put that, I, I hate to have to call it a story arc, but the way that they put that story arc together in this episode, obviously their biggest misstep in the whole situation is not intervening from the get-go, I don't want this to come across as any kind of defense of anyone in the situation, but it, it is a different time than it is in 2020. People aren't as aware, which is horrific, but it, it is the case. Um, I think a lot of people probably saw this whole incident in this happening on this show and they were like, this is a reality show. Like, why is it so serious? Like, what even is this? Which again, I think the biggest misstep, especially looking at it from 2020 is that as soon as there was any kind of accusation or evidence of an incident, production should have stepped in and intervened and said, we're going to sort this out instead of letting these people carry on. Because you do see it spiral into this, he said, she said. And to go back to how I sort of set up my point, I think the way that production put it together in the episode is even more detrimental to the the whole situation in that they show the sort of initial incident of Gandhia saying, hey, something happened last night that I'm not you know, totally cool with. And they have a whole scene where she goes to Ted and they seemingly resolve it. And then from there it snowballs. So you have all of these subsequent scenes where the sort of framework is that, oh, but they already settled it. So why is she mad now? Like, is she just doing this to get attention? Is she doing it for strategy? Like Ted said, nothing happened. They already resolved it. So like, what's her deal? Whereas in 2020, like, and what should have been the whole time, But especially now we know that like trauma can bubble up and reveal itself after the incident. It doesn't have to be like something happened and you blow up immediately. So I think for for the edit to to do such a strategic like, oh, we'll show it happening and them talking it out and being very civil about it. And then later on, we'll show her, you know, blowing up completely. And then all of these other like game of telephone conversations with the castaways. It just, it feels so icky and such a perpetuation of this idea of like, maybe she's just making it up or she's overreacting or she regrets doing it. So now she's gonna, you know, have this huge explosion later on. And it just creates this very, very wrong conversation about it that just, w- it wouldn't happen nowadays. You wouldn't present that on television because more people understand that that is not a narrative that you should be putting in media, whether you believe it or not. Like that, that's just the absolute worst way of going about showing this story on television. And in its own way becomes a form of gaslighting the situation, I feel like. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like just the edit itself. The edit itself. Just let alone anything else. Well, it does go along with what Anna was saying about production. I think I just want to point out like, this is not, but well, we already said like an all-star or something, you know, around this topic happens. It also happens years later in Survivor and they still don't handle it great so I just think it'll be interesting to watch that season and like refer back to this one um, just to see what production does with 
if she's like this. Um, and then also, uh, also the idea, like the idea that people didn't want to be involved because of strategy and like thinking about the game, that is also very interesting to me. Like I think, like Anna was saying, production should have stepped in so that it wasn't about like the players having to decide what to do in the, the game. It was just like, we don't tolerate this, you know, like we're gonna like do it for you. We're gonna handle it for you. And again, just remember this in like, literally like 30 seasons. Just remember it. Well, putting this to rest and moving on so we can kind of just finish talking about this season. Um, I think it's a good time to bring up our honorable mention, somebody that we all feel like deserves to be shown a little bit more, deserves to be talked about a little bit more. Um, and that is Sheehan. We talked about Sheehan a little bit, and when she went onto the same beach, I just immediately spilled all the tea about her original tribe to what she thought was the merged tribe, and then was a victim of her own mouth, because <laughs> turns out they weren't merged, and she was booted off right that night because she just revealed all of their secrets. So what are other some good Shein moments? And what what made Shein be our honorable mention? Aggie? Um, okay, I have one. I think um, she is a victim of some pretty horrifying, like low-key racist things from the Sukjai tribe, um, including our man Rob Z, who Nick tried to fight for him to be our honorable mention because he kind of has this moment of clarity of like, I'm a dick, maybe I should change my ways which like respect, but like, no, you don't get honorable mention for that. But she's very much the victim of some like pretty intense, like Asian racism because she like eats all the parts of the chicken when they eat the chicken. And he's like, that's like what Asian people do, blah, blah, blah. And she kind of reacts in this way of like, I mean, I'm getting fed. So like, if you're going to be racist and make these comments about me, like jokes on you. Cause I have more protein. And she like, she doesn't let it sort of get under her skin, which I kind of very much appreciate. I don't think it's okay in any way what he said, but she's just kind of like, fuck you guys, I'm here to play a game and I need the protein. So like, I don't care if you think I'm weird for eating this way. Like it is who I am and I'm not gonna apologize for that, which I kind of like. And yeah. I think that's part of the reason I thought of her as honorable mention. Uh, Stacy, what about you, Sheehan? <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I think she was a good player, a good player, and she just didn't have, like, people to ally with or to, like, team up with, really. Um, I think she was just not in a great situation in the game, but I think she, like, understood the game. She had, like, a strategic mind. Um, I mean, she wasn't great at immunity challenges, like, that could have helped her, but I think definitely she is a good honorable mention. I think she was great. Uh, Anna, anything to add before we move on? Um, I don't know if we explicitly stated that she is the first Asian contestant on Survivor. So that in itself is like a big honorable mention. Amazing. Let's keep it up, Survivor. I don't have faith in you, but let's and keep it up. Here's my realty. I think Sheehan becomes honorable mention for season five because of what, because of her on season eight, knowing she comes back for All-Stars, she is just so good in All-Stars, and I'm just kind of, like, bringing in her All-Star season to season five. My feelings for her then, and my feelings for her in season five. Guys, spoiler alert, Nick loves Shein in season eight, and I think we all She's, do. But I think here you see so some, like, beautiful groundwork being laid for her arc on All-Stars before they even know she's going to be on All-Stars. Like she clearly has what it takes to be on All-Stars because we were able to find all these things that she did in season five that made her interesting and like compelling instead of just being like, I don't know, like a sort of, she's not a wishy-washy person, which I appreciate. And I think is why she ends up coming back on All-Stars and being as successful as she is. Uh, and with that, I think we have to talk about our final two. It's been 40 minutes of the podcast and we haven't spoken on Brian or Clay once, probably because they are terrible, terrible, terrible people. But they're the final two. It truly is the lesser of two evils winning. And Anna brought this up when we talked about her overall thoughts for the season of like, Brian could be considered one of the strongest winners and using the strongest social game. But my God, was he a terrible person. <laughs> Anna, what are your thoughts on Brian? Because I think you're one of 
like you do think that he is a good player. I mean, I do. I've I've seen a lot of people refer to him as a literal sociopath. So like, <laughs> do with that what you will. Um, but I think he does, you know, have a lot of good strategy. I think he's quite ahead of his time in terms of the way he thinks about the game. I think he has a quote from one of the early episodes, maybe the first episode, where he's like, this is a business trip. I like he's here. He knows what he's doing. He executes it well. And he pushes his way to the win. So like, you got to give him props for that. But at the same time, you don't root for him. Like, I don't want him to win. No, like, acknowledge that, like, I respect his gameplay, I guess, but not him. Yeah, it's almost like, at what cost do I respect Brian? Because, like, he kind of, like, strong arms people into things, and he just, like, rolls Clay to the end because he's, he's like, just Clay's- a sleaze. Yeah, because, like, Clay's more unlikable than me, so if I, like, align with Clay, like, that will help me. And you're just kind of like, I don't like any of you. Like, what is happening? Stacey, what about you? What are your feels on, like, this toxic final two that we got this season? Great use of the word toxic. I'm not a huge fan of either. I honestly, like, I barely remember Clay, so I just don't have much to say about him. Um, I mean, Brian, like, he was a good, you know, salesman I guess like he was good at kind of manipulating a little bit to get his way and so again I mean it's similar to a lot of winners in the first like I don't know 10 seasons like they they know what they need to do they do it well but I'm not a huge fan of Brian in this situation I wouldn't want to see him play again like in (laughs) all-stars okay one last comment on Brian I think the most the least likable part about him is when his he wins the reward where his wife, like to watch his home video. And his wife is just like, like there's no real, there's love lost there, right? Like it doesn't seem like they're like, like a lovey-dovey, like sweet couple. It's like, look at all the things you already have in our multi-million dollar home. Like it's like a tour of his house instead of like, let's talk as if I actually care about you. Like it's very weird. And then everyone's kind of like, I, clearly he doesn't need the million dollars. So it just gets like, kind of upsetting. I don't know. The whole thing's like a little bit weird. Well, I'm surprised we haven't brought up the fact that him and his wife were porn stars. That's why they have this multi-million dollar home. And he has all these brand new cars that they're showing off. Like they brought up on the show that his job was a used car salesman. No, him and his wife were flat out porn stars. Nothing about it. If I looked pretty enough i'd be a porn star for sure not mad about it but i just think that's worth noting that we were just told that he was a used car salesman when he used his body to sell his body (laughs) well said nicholas nailed it well thank you thank you you. Um, it's worth pointing out that um jeff probst love of my life also hates this season (laughs) he doesn't use the word hate but he definitely has some disdain for it. So I personally feel better about shitting on it. I think Jeff in general was something that came up about this season. He's not great. I think we can talk about Jeff not being great. This is definitely a moment for Jeff. He can Jeff be is finding role. himself. Jeff finding um, his survivor <laughs> persona. He had some good moments and we all love a good Jeff Probst moment. Uh, like he finally gets to host the reunion. He has some mwah, chef's kiss perfection commentary during challenges, flat out telling Sukjai, you're self-destructing. Get it together. Oh my God. It's just very entertaining. He really comes into his own as a host. It's the start of Jeff being a real host. I was going to say, you love yourself some props. I, I love Probst so much, okay? Like, I know he says problematic things, and I know he's not perfect, but man, if there's a man alive who can last 40 seasons better than Jeff Probst, tell me who it is in the comments. Like, don't get me wrong. Oh, God, don't even get me started on <laughs> But, like, here's the thing. I think with Jeff, you do see some development of him across many seasons, and this is not his best season in terms of, like, how he reacts to situations. And I think... 
a lot of times, this is not a good example, but like later in seasons, especially All-Stars, he's thrown to the wolves by the producers, like with little to no information. And then he reacts in real time. And it's not always great. But I think in this season, you start to see him find his voice, right? Like, who am I during the challenge? Because I'm not competing, but I'm also not not competing. Like, I'm running alongside you when we're in the jungle. And like, I have to sort of narrate what you're doing, but in like a funny way so that like the viewers could like have a chuckle. And so he's trying, he hasn't reached his peak yet. He hasn't found the Jeff voice and the Jeff timing, but he's, he's getting there. And I think it's because there's so many problematic people that he's like, how can I not react to you? Like, this is just not for me. And I think a really good example of that is when Clay writes the Denver diva, bye-bye Denver diva, instead of Gandia as her name, which just honestly also speaks back to what we talked about earlier, like the lack of respect for her and her situation. But Jeff, after going, uh, this is the first time this has ever happened to me. I don't know who's the vote is for. And so, and like, they're supposed to be anonymous, right? So Clay has to claim it. And then Jeff's like, don't do that again. Full on, like he's six years old. He's like, don't do that again, write a name. And I'm like, yes, daddy, Jeff, tell me what to do. Stacey, as like you, our resident survivor aficionado, because so Stacey has seen the most seasons out of us four. What it like? What are your feels on Jeff this season? Yeah, I do think he is getting more of like his own personality of how he wants to host the show and mm-hmm. having some more like humorous moments too. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do, I mean I love when Jeff gets more like sassy and has more attitude. Um, I just, I mean, this season, I can't get over how he handled the Gandia thing, but we, at least he's starting to like grow. So for sure, for sure. And I don't want people to think that we're saying Jeff handled this situation well, because over, overall, nobody this season handled that situation. Well, nobody. So we're not trying to give Jeff a pass here, but I do, I do think we had to mention that this is probably like the first season where he's like starting to become a good host where he's like giving good commentary and like bringing things up at tribal that should be brought up. He's coming into his own a little bit more. And with that, we've reached a moment that we all have. That was a terrible introduction, but like, you know what? We're going to keep on going. It's COVID. Everyone's favorite segment. (laughs) Easier roll through that. Everyone's favorite segment. Listen, it is coronavirus. Nothing matters in the world. It's rapid fire. We have three quick little ditties for you. Little ditty. All right. So in a season plagued with terribleness, that's not a word, but it is now. What is your most uplifting moment from this season? Anna, Banana, Fofana, Tantillo, Bella. What about you? It's got to be when uh, Jan cries over dead (laughs) animals. And I'm going to put dead animals in air quotes because I think she finds the dead baby bat, but it's like not really a baby bat. It's like half of a formed baby bat that's like definitely not fully developed. But she cries and it's very sweet. So she gives it a funeral and a name and everybody laughs at her, but I laugh with her. Jan is a pro-lifer. Stacy. <laughs> um, I mean, I love any time the family is involved. So I guess that would be my favorite. <laughs> or the most uplifting, which is they got to, you know, interact the with family. family. Yeah. Aggie? I kind of think it's hard for me, right? I, I don't love most moments in this season. I kind of like when Ken, who, shout out, by the way, what a 10. Maybe he's the most uplifting moment of the season. But he has that, like, one-on-one chat with Rob. And Rob, like, turns himself around and, like, has a come-to-Jesus moment with his soul and his being. And he's like, I'm a terrible person. But it's, like, all based on, like, Rob or um, Ken kind of going to him and being like, you're being immature. And, like, they go out into the woods. Do you remember this? And they, like, talk to each other. It's like they have a come-to-Jesus with each other. And then Rob's like, yeah, man. Like, I see that, I hear that. And you're like, cool, yeah, go be a better person. Like, you're still gonna get voted off, but like, go be a better person. And I kind of like <laughs> that. What brought me into mind was my uplifting moment was Rob Z at the reunion. It was like, Death like, talks to him, it was like, you were kind of a dick. 
and Rob's like, I was, I watched that season and I'm embarrassed. And he's like, I work for a charity now. I went back to school. I got my life together. I quit smoke. And it's like, holy shit, you truly had a transformative come to Jesus moment in front of America and it stuck. It was just just very beautiful. Our next rabbit fire is what was the most difficult challenge in your opinion? And I'm going to start us off here. Final immunity challenges are always hard, but this one was exceptionally difficult in my eyes. They were in a squatted position with their hands through golden rings, holding up plates with five coins on each plate. No, they held the coins between their fingers. Oh, coins between their fingers. And they're in this cave covered in like fire with like so many candles so they were dripping sweat in this cave with jeff probes in a squad holding coins i'd like to be in a cave with jeff probes (laughs) dripping sweat hello and on that note because you weren't disgusting stacy what about you (laughs) i I can't remember like any challenge wait stacy should i send you a pic i wrote them all down sure Anna, what about you as Stacey figures it out? <laughs> okay, I'm about to drag myself in the comments. Um, <laughs> for me, the most difficult challenge is also the easiest challenge <laughs> where oh, they no. need to steal flags in either one, two, or three at a time in order to get the last flag. Everyone that talks about this uh-huh. challenge is like, it's so easy. Like, don't you know how to do these? Um, the answer is no. <laughs> it stresses me out and I think it would be really really hard oh my god that's actually the first challenge that Chewy Gong wins so <laughs> more by a mistake on the part of Sukjai than on a like good move by yeah, not on like a good move just like a mistake Aggie. I don't know how they did it though I'll never know we could recreate it Anna we could make no that. we can't okay I'm, I'm trying to decide between two to be perfectly honest I think, hold on, sorry, I'm looking back at my notes, but I think, I, I don't think the one where they had to, like, drag the giant dummy member of their tribe, like, the <laughs> stuffed version of a person, like, like, he was dead weight, literally, and they had to, like, drag him through the jungle, I, that challenge seemed pretty awful, and, like, they couldn't get it to move at one point, and they had, like, kind of, like, wheels or something, it, I just remember it being, like, difficult af and like they get to the sand and everyone's just like i can't keep going and jeff is like hundreds of feet from them and they're just like i can't i can't keep going so i think that's like maybe that one was definitely difficult i don't know if it's the most difficult but it definitely didn't look enjoyable and it looked like it went on for far too long stacy what about you okay i mean most difficult for me personally would be eating insects or bugs because i just and it wasn't even the survivors it was their family members yeah. How cool. yeah so that was like the one i wouldn't do at least so for sure oh and wait sorry the one where they had to memorize the numbers in thai and mm-hmm. use that to help them like find directions through the sand and it ended up just being ken and clay like trying to do it and everyone else like somewhere else that one looked miserable sorry i'm done now <laughs> and then last we brought this question up earlier But at the very beginning of the game, the survivors were forced to choose between a um, campsite that had a great shelter but far away water or a shelter or a campsite that had water really close but a terrible area for shelter. So out of those two options, which one would you choose? Stacey? I would do like easy access to water and terrible shelter. Okay, Anna? Yeah, it's got to be easy water for me. Aggie? I mean, I'll say this later seasons, but I think I'd have to pick the water because if you don't build a shelter, are you even really playing Survivor? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I would pick the shelter over the water. There he is. One, I can't build, please. <laughs> Fuck that. But also, if you don't need to build a shelter i think you can conserve your energy so you don't like you can go get the water i don't know that's my tea that's my drama your boat (laughs) well i'm never going on survivor anyway so it's fine i think with that we're going to put survivor thailand to rest and never revisit it because why would we want to okay great end credits
Thanks for listening, everybody. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you didn't like and we'll try and work on it. If you want to follow us on our social medias, we have Instagram at Escaping Reality Pod and on Twitter, ESC Reality Pod. We'd love to hear what you have to say about Survivor. Did you like what we had to say? Did you not like what we had to say? Let us know. And of course, if you are a past contestant of Survivor, come at us, slide into our DMs, let us know that you want to be on the podcast. We would love to have you. We are putting out new episodes every single week, so make sure to come back for more. And as always, thank you for escaping reality with us.